those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through one man's trespass, much more surely have... Let's start that again because I'm not paying attention now. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through one man's transgression, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one man's trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. But law came in, with the result that the trespass multiplied. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we come before you tonight. Father, and I am just keenly aware of weakness. Weakness in myself and weakness just in everybody that is here because we still struggle with sin. Lord, we come here not on the strength of our own legs and arms and our own righteousness worked and attained by our own good deeds. But we come here to worship you. We come here to listen to your word and to receive good gifts from you because of what Jesus has done. It is by him that we come to receive these good, good, good works, to be able to give back to you what you deserve. And so, Father, tonight, Lord, I pray that we would continue to understand more and more of your revealed will, the revelation of who you are to us. Lord, as we delve into this scripture tonight, the rest of chapter 5 in Romans, Lord, I pray that you would open, open our ears to be able to hear and then open our hearts so that we may have faith in what we hear. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This may be a little bit clunkier, having uh, one hand occupied, but we'll see how we go. So, for those of you who don't know who I am, I am Nat. And for those who do know who I am, I am still Nat, but uh, I am a more evolved Nat than the last time you heard me preaching here. Uh, since before uh, last time and since then, my wife has birthed into the world my son. That's right. All the girls go ooh and ah and all the guys go, yep, and I understand that. That's fine. 
He is our third child. He has two older sisters, Eleanor and Constance. And like them, he has made me more experienced and world-wise. I now possess the barest hint of understanding of what it is to raise a son. And now I can reflect on the deep things of life and understand what it was like for my father to actually raise me. See, when I was growing up, Dad tried to instill in me a set of skills to equip me with the abilities to function as an independent adult. Really crazy stuff, like how to shoot bows and arrows and guns. He taught me how to sharpen blades uh, on a grinder by eye and to make small explosives. And I realised these aren't normal things. Dad may have been training me to be um, a professional hitman rather than a preacher. But he also taught me other things. He taught me how to use a screwdriver, paintbrushes, sanders, lathes. He taught me the fine art of garage sale haggling, something that may be foreign to this generation and is borderline useless to mine. <laughs> he taught me things to equip me for adulthood. And it is a blessing. But one of those things was how to service my own car. Here is a photo of the same make and model of car. The 85 Ford Laser. My goodness, I can see all of you just so jealous. <laughs> she is a beauty. This particular car is actually up for sale at the moment for a grand total of $60. <laughs> now, despite my father's noble intentions, I still know very little about the inner workings of my own car. As far as I'm concerned, it runs on the power of prayer alone. <laughs> but in those early days of the Ford Laser, having no understanding meant that I had very little assurance uh, as to its capabilities and the condition of my car. I was very nervous about driving any great distance with this car. And I was stranded on the side of the freeway more than once. The only certainty I had with the 85 Ford Laser was that I would start at point A. And point B was a mystery. It was questionable. But had I known, had I understood the mechanics of what was happening inside of that car, uh, my confidence would have been, well, in that car, quite a, quite a bit lower than what it should have been. But it would have been correct. I would have been more certain. In the same way Paul, in the verses that we just read, is explaining the mechanics of how the gospel works, the gospel vehicle. He has already explained in the opening chapters where it is that the gospel goes. The destination of the trip is set. We start in sin, of which we are all condemned before the Lord. That is point A. That is the beginning. That is the start. Thankfully, it is not where that gospel vehicle leaves us. It travels to point B. And we quickly find ourselves, when placing our faith in Jesus and hopping in that car, that we end up in a very different place to where we started. No longer condemned. Instead, we are justified. Going from condemnation country to justification jurisdiction. Thank you. <laughs> Things sound so much wittier when you're writing them by yourself in an office. <laughs> Instead of condemnation, in chapter 5, verse 1, what Amy was preaching on last week, we find ourselves instead at peace with God. No longer condemned, but at peace. We then travel from peace with God 
righteousness until we come into sanctification, which is what next week's sermon is going to, well, not next week, but the next um, sermon in this series is going to be about. So if you don't know what sanctification is, come along for that one. It's in two weeks' time. This is the trip that Paul has been telling us about. But now we want to pop the hood and find out how this works. How have we gone from condemned to justified and to continue on on that journey? What are the mechanics of the gospel? Paul is going to outline the gears that make the vehicle effective for getting us away from condemnation to justification. And what he uses is what we call in the theological world is federal headship. Now, don't be put off by the term. I'm not going to go too deeply into it, but to briefly explain it, federal headship is the idea that one man can represent all of humanity. That one man is the voice and the will of everyone. Which means that the words that he speaks and the actions that he takes are not just his, but everyone's. The commands he receives are commands for everyone. The rewards he receives are the rewards that everyone receives. The way in which God looks at him, either in condemnation or justification, is the way that God sees everyone. If he is righteous, everyone is righteous. If he is disobedient, everyone is disobedient. This one person represents everyone all of us, completely. Not representing humanity on a very generic level, but on a very personal level. For Australians, this is a remarkably difficult concept to grasp. We are a nation of individuals. We do not like the idea of handing over our voice and our will to the whims of another either because of a deep-seated mistrust in the capability of others or a fear of vulnerability, we don't like it. Imagine for a moment that I was this representative. I speak and I act on your behalf. In fact, on the behalf of everybody in this room. Imagine for a moment that while in this role, I was caught speeding. The consequences for a usual speeding ticket would be somewhere around $350-$400 and a series of demerit points, which is a pretty heavy blow on any day. But because I was in the role as your representative, you all receive in the mail a $400 bill. And you all have the demerit points taken from you. You are all personally responsible for speeding. More than that, the letter has your name as well as mine as the perpetrator. What do you think of that? I think I'd actually be receiving a few phone calls that week. The cry of Allgate Night Service would be, this is unfair. I didn't do this. I wasn't there. I would have done something different. I shouldn't be the one suffering for the consequences of a lead-footed associate pastor that goes to a different service than mine. You'd be saying this, wouldn't you? You'd be calling me up. This is outrageous. We would prefer instead to have another person as our representative, at least. I would pick. And if I don't get to, if I don't get to have 
someone else or represent myself. I actually want to choose that person. But guess what? There is no smooth way of saying the next part. That's not the world we live in. It's not the world we were created in. That's the band-aid ripping off. The wrong way to think about... Uh, it is the wrong way to think about federal headship. One man can and does represent humanity. The text we read this morning highlights it. Seven times in nine verses, Paul says that Adam in the Garden of Eden was the federal head of humanity. It is the system into which we were created. This is how humanity is supposed to operate and does operate, whether we like it or not. Adam himself was created by God, chosen by God to be, God, to be the perfect representation of humanity. We could not have done it better. No one could have done it better than Adam. God made him for that purpose. Paul doesn't stop with Adam, though. He gives another person as representative and states that Jesus is also a federal head for those who place their faith in him. And this is the mechanics of the gospel. Two options for who is going to be your representative. Now, if you were or are a non-Christian, what does all of this federal headship Adam and Jesus stuff sound like? It sounds like a would-you-rather. Have you ever played the game would-you-rather? A few months ago, my Old Testament lecturer, Luke Wisely, sat down next to me at lunch and said, Nat, I have a question for you. And I, being the ever-attentive and, attentive and respectful student, prepared myself for the deep theological question and a wise answer and said, yes, Luke, what, what can I do for you? And he said, would you rather die from a venomous snake bite or be constricted? <laughs> College has changed. It's not what I expected. <laughs> but I think we're going to have a play of this game tonight. So, would you rather die from a venomous snake bite or constriction. Have a think about it. When we get to this, we often begin to immediately weigh up the differences. What are the pros and cons? What are the pros and cons of venomous snake bite or constriction? Let's go through them. Venomous snake bites. You have time to say goodbye. You have a few fleeting moments to say goodbye to your loved ones. Maybe a phone call, a handful of text messages, Hop on a messenger, a Facebook photo, enough time. <laughs> Second one, if you are claustrophobic, venomous snake bite is the option. Constriction, I mean, you're dying for two different reasons. Last one, open casket is still an option if your parents would like that. <laughs> Pros and cons for constriction. It's newsworthy. There are not many people dying from this in Australia. We are not known for our constricting snakes, and so I think if you're going to go, might as well make it something that makes it to the news. Agoraphobia, of course, the opposite fear, the fear of dying, in, oh, not just dying, but fear of open spaces. Constriction is the way to go for you, if that's the case. 
And lastly, there's no leftovers even to worry about. No funeral needed. Let's try one more. Oh, let's try. Let's see. Show of hands. Who's for venomous snake bite? Wow, that's a lot. You're all wrong. <laughs> Who's for constriction? That's good. All five of you are correct. There's still wisdom in the church. Let's try one more. Would you rather sneeze every hour on the hour or burp every time you see an attractive person? <laughs> Not a small burp either. We're talking a large belch. Think, like bits are flying out of you when you're doing it. People are talking. The pros and cons are coming out. First pro or con for sneezing every hour on the hour. One, it is less embarrassing than burping every time you see someone. Sneezing is kind of acceptable in public. Burping is not. Two, it wakes you up. That is a massive con. This does not stop when you go to sleep. Every hour waking up. Third, you always know the time. <laughs> what a wonderful perk that is. Definitely worth it. Burp every time you see an attractive person. Look, it's not a great move. It's going to take a pretty special person to see past burping to find that sensitive person underneath. But in a kind of gross way, it is endearing. Like, it's a bit flattering if, the, if they know that that's what you're doing. Second one, you do get to sleep through the night. That's a perk. And the third one, this is especially poignant for those who have uh, those significant others in our lives. It's that dreaded day when you don't burp. <laughs> and you are deafened by the absence of the burp. <laughs> so, show of hands. Those for sneezing on the hour every hour? Yeah, yeah, amen. And uh, for burping every time you see an attractive person? Yeah, you're just a little bit weird. <laughs> Lastly, one more. This is the one that the non-Christian will hear when they read this text. Would you rather be represented by Adam or Jesus? Pros and cons for Adam. Sin. Adam, we know, disobeyed God. He was told not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he did. That action of disobedience now mars the record not just of him, but of every human born and yet to be born. Why? Because he represented all of us. Upon each of our records now reads, ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and your name is stamped there. It is as much our fault as it is Adam's if he is our representative. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all, because all have sinned. Death. The second consideration of Adam is not simply the mark of sin, but the result that follows it. A permanent consequence. As God brought us life, stepping away from him brings us death. Now humanity is forever marked as sinners and we are bound forever to die. To feel death's sting. 
condemnation. And the one who looked upon us in perfect love and life, our creator, now in his eyes we cannot see that sparkle of joy that he once had in humanity. Instead, what resides in his eyes as a just and loving God is condemnation. We are now separated from him and even in his mercy, he must have justice. Even in his long-enduring patience, his slowness to anger, justice will be had, must be had. And so we are condemned in Adam. Because we and Adam are guilty. These are the cons of Adam and these are also his pros. This is all there is. A bleak series of pros if we have ever seen one. Let's now look at the pros of Jesus, of him as our representative. Righteousness. As we spoke about at the beginning of the sermon, the gospel starts at a point, at point A, with Adam and his sin, death, condemnation as the beginning of the journey, and then travels away from it. So we see the direct contrast of sin and righteousness. How does this happen? How are we seen as righteous? Because Jesus was righteous and he is our representative in this. Federal headship, one man represents all of humanity. And just as federal headship doomed us in Adam, it saves us in Jesus. Just as Adam ate of the forbidden fruit in Eden and we are held as much in blame for this as he is, in Jesus' perfect life, in his obedience to God, in his good works and in his righteousness, we are given the credit that he earned. We are held in the same light as he is. Now, does the sting of federal headship, that desire for independence and individuality, still hurt as much now that you know that it grants us life? Justification. It was spelt out in chapter 5, verse 1, last week. Instead of being condemned in the eyes of God, as we are in Adam, with him as our representative, with Jesus, we are at peace with God. No longer do we need to fear his justice. With Jesus as our representative, we come down now on the right side of the law. How? Because in the action of Jesus becoming our representative, we gain his righteousness. And he, because he is our federal head, gains our sin. He represents us, and so all that we do also affects him. And with that sin, he suffers the justice that was intended for us. Does this begin to strike home? He died because he desired to represent us and our sin needed to be dealt with. This is the true actions of a godly federal head. He paid the cost of our sin and so for us, the cost of sin is paid. And we are just again no longer condemned. 
In verse 18 of chapter 5, it says, Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. This list looks very different to Adam's already. But the pros don't stop there, because in Jesus we also gain life. Just as we participate in Jesus' death and therefore get his justification, so do we also get the life when he returns from the dead. Eternal life. Never again will Jesus taste death, which means neither do we. Galatians 2, 19-20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's better. Verses 15 to 17 are all about how Jesus' federal headship is just better than Adam's. Adam committed one sin. He ate from the tree and in doing so condemned all of humanity. But there is so much more than one sin now. But one act of righteousness from Jesus consumes all of it. Picture for a moment that we were to place a single black stone for every sin that was ever committed. You begin at Adam first, and then Eve, and then on and on and on, layer upon layer, stone upon stone. How tall, how long, how deep, how wide would that wall of midnight stone be? Taller than Everest, surely. Longer than the, greatest, uh, than the Great Wall of China. Deeper than the Mariana Trench and wider than the ocean. That is a terrifying picture. Yet it says that the righteous actions of Jesus lead to justification and life for all. The blood that was spilt on the cross is like a crimson tidal wave that is in orders of magnitude vaster than that midnight mountain. And as it envelops our sin and we look down upon the tumultuous waters, we cannot even see a hint of black. If we were to plumb its depths, there would be no stone found. So much better, so much more complete is the justification and the righteousness of Jesus. How much better he is as the federal head. And lastly, it's free. You gain his life, you gain his death, you gain his justice, his righteousness at the unfathomable cost of just having faith. Having faith in him, that he is your representative. Now let's be honest, there were a few people that did not raise their hands when we were playing would you rather snake bite or constriction? A few people that sat on the fence. But what Paul is making very clear and has been doing so from the beginning of Romans is that there are no fence sitters because there is a default position with this game. 
And the default position is that Adam is our representative. That is where we all begin. Sin, death and condemnation are not a choice but a default. You start with Adam. But the question that we have tonight is, are you going to have faith in Jesus? Now, while this list Paul gives us sounds like a would-you-rather, the reality is, is that it is not. He is not trying to sway us from Adam to Jesus in this passage. Because it is written to a church that already exists. These are people that already believe in Jesus. So what is it that Paul is doing? These people already have Jesus as their representative. So why? Why is it that Paul is comparing Adam to Jesus if they're already converted? What is it that you have gained yourselves from even hearing uh, what we've talked about tonight? What can be gained from understanding the mechanics under the hood of the car that is taking you from condemnation to life? Assurance. He is reminding the church that their assurance is in Jesus Christ and that the mechanics of the gospel is the only thing that will get them the distance that they need to go in life. We must be aware of the ongoing lies that Satan continues to tell us, the deceptions of our own struggle with sin that will tempt us to place our faith in vehicles other than the gospel to get us to glory. Romans 5 chapter 2 says that the Christian boasts in the hope of sharing in the glory of God. How many times a day are we assaulted with the temptations to place our faith in something other than Jesus? To gain glory some other way. Paul is writing of federal headship. He is writing of Jesus as our representative. As so much better than Adam. So that the church would be 110% assured of the salvation it has in Jesus. Be reminded of your assurance in Jesus. Remember that image of the vast crimson waters. No sin could be found. Our salvation is complete. And so long as Jesus remains in glory, so will we. Because he is our federal head. It must be said... That federal headship is a wonderful thing. It is the mechanism under the hood of the gospel that takes us to salvation. It is through one man, Jesus, that any who believe, any who have faith to make him their representative are saved. Just as we gain the personal condemnation of sin from Adam, in Jesus we gain his righteousness. So be encouraged, is what Paul is trying to do. Be encouraged by these words that Paul has to offer us. Be assured. We are in the safe hands of Jesus as our federal head. Praise and glory to him. Let's pray.
Father God, we give thanks. What else do we have to give? We give thanks for the words from Paul to remind us of how much we have gained in Jesus Christ, his righteousness, his justification, the simple fact that it is a better life. Lord, to be reminded of the potency of what Jesus has done upon the cross to secure us forever in him. Lord, I pray tonight in particular that you would continue to open our hearts and remind us just how secure we are in Jesus. Lord, that if any lies from Satan or from ourselves are things that we are trusting in, that we would throw them aside now and be reminded by Paul's words that glory, life eternal, freedom, justification, righteousness, none of it comes from any other place other than faith in Jesus. And that even in the times where we do not feel that we have it, is that we do. Not because of how we feel or because of what we have done, but because of what our representative has done. All praise and honour to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.